In an age of digital culture, we know there are many rewards. The pleasure of convenience, the ability to connect with individuals who share common values from all over the planet, and access to information one might never have found without the global internet. But there are also risks, and potentially, they may have dire consequences. In this episode of Higher Journeys Radio, we welcome back Dr. Lori Nadell, a counseling psychologist, journalist, best-selling author, and spiritual practitioner. Today, Dr. Lori and I weigh in on the risks of technology from a multitude of levels, and why now it is imperative that we take stock in just how much of ourselves we wish to give over to a computer-generated reality. I am so delighted to welcome back Dr. Lori Nadell to Higher Journeys Radio. Recently, Dr. Lori and I have been musing back and forth over the alarming and escalating trend of the negative use of technology and how it appears to be dominating so much of our lives these days. Now, I'll be the first to say that I have really enjoyed and I appreciate my ability to use technology and use it I do. There are many wonderful aspects to be had when it comes to uh, leveraging this ever-growing technological landscape. But I have always stressed that technology, like most anything else, can be used for good or for bad. In fact, I think at its core, it's really neutral. I've said many times, a fire can cook your food, warm your home, or it can burn you. Water can quench your thirst, help you grow a garden, or it can drown you. It's not the thing itself, it's how it is used, and technology is no exception. So today we're going to be discussing some of the disturbing trends related to technology and where these negative activities may be taking society in the long term. So, Dr. Lori, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me as your guest. I really appreciate it. Oh, we always enjoy having you. Well, this is going to be a a great conversation. It's not necessarily a a pleasant one, but I think there's some great things that we can get out of it. You know, there are quite a few aspects or outgrowths of this, shall we say, um, dark side of technology that I'd like to cover today. But I'd like to begin with a rather troubling statistic that you gave me, Laurie, just a few days ago. Now, you, as a practicing psychologist, who, by the way, everyone has been working so diligently and passionately still with victims of both September 11th and Hurricane Sandy, you are the recipient, I know, of all sorts of stresses coming from individuals from all walks of life. And recently you told me that you have at least three people a week coming in to see you for therapy because of something that happened on Facebook. Right. So I'd like to start with that. What's going on there? Well, I, I, I wish I knew what was going on, but uh, I, I'm constantly amazed that people will actually come in specifically for an hour or several se- therapy sessions to deal with how unhappy they are because somebody unfriended them, somebody said something mean about them, Somebody posted a picture of their new pet or girlfriend or boyfriend and they weren't informed. Or uh, my favorite is they were stalking their ex on Facebook because we're still friends on Facebook and they found out that the ex is now in a relationship or getting married. Hmm. Um, I, I always ask people, why, why, are you, why, are you, why are you still looking at your ex's Facebook page? Hmm. Well, I want to know what's going on in his life or her life. And besides, we're still friends on Facebook. Uh, Facebook friends, firstly, are not friends. 
Uh, Facebook is a, a fascinating medium uh, to be able to connect with profiles of people, but you're not connecting with real people. These people can be, they, they're basically, they're, they're readers of whatever it is you choose to post, whether it's about your private life, whether it's about your professional life, but they're not, they're not real people. These aren't, these aren't real friendships. These aren't real relationships. And yet people, it, it, and some of the dynamics that go on about Facebook, the shaming and mm-hmm. the insults and the, the humiliation and the, the dropping of people or the quote-unquote unfriending of people, uh, it, it's, the behavior is like a medieval village square. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like I, I was publicly humiliated on Facebook when so-and-so unfriended me or posted a negative comment about my dessert recipe. And people really lose a lot of energy. Uh, they lose self-esteem. Uh, they, they, there seems to be like a complete absence of critical thinking about uh, what's actually going on. And it, it's a phenomena that uh, people spend hours a day just interacting with the world through Facebook. And uh, my favorite one, which I, I, I know I'm, I'm going on a bit, but there was a, a, one of my former clients came in for several therapy sessions because she was in a relationship. And finally, this man who she was very much in love with said that he deeply loved her and he was ready to talk about getting married and building a life together. But she came to see me in tears because she thought she should break up with him because he didn't post on his Facebook page in a relationship. And I was just, I, so I, I, I repeated to her, okay, so you got together, he told you he loved you, he said he's ready, to, he's ready to get married, he wants to move forward, it's everything that you've wanted, you really love him, he really loves you, and you want to break up with him over Facebook? I mean, I have a hard time sometimes understanding it. Mm. And mm. she said, yes, because if he didn't put he's in a relationship, then all my friends on Facebook are going to wonder why am I involved with him? Why am I going to marry him if he can't put in a relationship on Facebook? And I said, well, maybe he doesn't consider Facebook to be an important place to post his personal business. Maybe he has a, sel- a healthy separation between what the world sees on Facebook and what is really very close to his heart. And she hadn't thought of it that way. She hadn't because, thought of it that way. Because yeah. clearly... If there's something going on in your life and you live on Facebook, you got to put it out on Facebook. Otherwise, it's like a tree falling in the forest. Mm-hmm. If a tree falls in the forest and nobody hears it, did the tree really fall? If you're in a relationship but you don't post it on Facebook, are you really in a relationship? Uh, in her case, the answer was no. Isn't that she, something? She couldn't trust the relationship because her boyfriend hadn't posted it on Facebook. Wow. I mean, we're talking, obviously, about adults here. And right. this is the thing, Lori, that has really perplexed me, still does. And I am hoping you, as just a brilliant psychologist, can shed some light on what is really, we're going to get into what is really going on with the human psyche that has, has what I would say, literally mutated or given over their humanity to AI. I mean, that, let's just cut to the right. chase here. This is a very yeah. deep subject, and it's very disturbing. Let me ask you, when did you start to see this sort of shift or handing over this this urgency of, in this case, we're talking about social media. Uh, when did you start to see this, uh, 
you know, rise in its its use in this way? Uh, I would say about 10 years ago. I'm trying mm. to think now, 2016. And when I started doing um, uh, internet radio shows, uh, and I had one on web talk radio called The Sixth Sense, and then I mm-hmm. migrated over to Genesis uh, Communication, and I, I had one called The Dr. Laurie Show. And that's when I really started to, to experience the, the negative, uh, if you will, obsessional quality mm-hmm. that people were developing with Facebook. Mm-hmm. And the kinds of comments that I would get uh, from from uh, listeners, uh, the, uh, the the how to describe it, um, some of the weird stalking behavior that people would report to me um, in sessions. Uh, people would start to describe uh, creating a personality so that they could stalk their ex on Facebook and in chat rooms and uh, try to kind of entice their ex into conversations. Uh, I've seen this really for about a decade now in Mm -hmm. my my practice. And you're definitely seeing an exponential growth, right? right? That's right. Yeah, it's not like it's staying the same. There's, there's, yeah. It's it's really, it's rampant. Hmm. It's It's dangerous to me. And and also, Hmm. you know, the inability to separate what your life is online from your real life, it, 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 one of my personal definitions of, of mental illness or insanity is the inability to distinguish between what's going on in your inner world and what's going on in the outer world. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I, I, um, I had a, a, uh, a patient who was uh, sadly schizophrenic and he broke into the house of this woman whom he had a crush on because he had a dream in which his, the, the woman's dog spoke to him and told him how to get into the house, what kind of food the dog liked as a snack, and to go into her bedroom and profess his love for her. So this poor woman wakes up in the middle of the night and sees this man standing there, calls the police, and they took him off to a hospital. And when I went to see him, he was very indignant about why she called the police because the dog had spoken to him in a dream. Now, I know that animals speak to people in dreams. I mean, I, I, I would be the last person in the world to discount it. But, but the difference is you have to be able to distinguish between what's factual and what's lawful and what goes on in your inner world. Mm-hmm. And he, had no, he, he couldn't distinguish. That's right. So he mm-hmm. felt that he was being unfairly punished and held accountable I said, but the law exists outside your dream world. I mean, you cannot just break and enter somebody's house, no matter who gives you permission or instructions. I said, that's the law. And he couldn't see the difference. I think that with the Internet, with these, these kind of, you know, the online identities that people create and project, uh, we are collectively losing the ability to distinguish the boundary between what's factual and what exists in our online world. Mm, very powerful statement. That's very kind of like collective insanity. Yes. Oh my goodness, that is you've really tapped into something really deep because again as we look at the behavior 
that is being exhibited through technology, we'll call it the conduit, it seems as if it is clearly having uh, an impact in our psychology across the board, whether we're actively using it or, or whether the technology was the culprit or a tool for the culprit or not. So we're dealing with something quite, uh, quite with the implications are just beyond any word I can come up with here. Blurring the lines of reality between what's what, and you know, you think about um, other other tools. I, I don't know if that's the right word, but other aspects of really of technology that have sort of led to this blurring of lines between what's real and what's not. And I would say reality, interestingly enough, I, I think the word is is wrong of the term reality TV. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. It's yeah. It, yeah, yeah, and and all right, the reality TV is designed to be entertainment. And maybe Facebook, you know, originally was designed, you know, as a kind of, as a, uh, you know, if you, if you see the, you know, the movie, The Social Network, and you read about it, you know, it's, it's kind of designed to help people who are more introverted and geeky to develop connections with others uh, mm-hmm. through the machine uh, or through the, you know, through the, through the device of, of the technology, the interconnected technology. But it's turned into something. It's it's really like like a techno Frankenstein I, because it's taken over people's lives. I was and, literally going to say, have we created a Frankenstein? Okay, well, well, yes, it's taken over people's lives. You just bring up a, a good point. You and I talked a little bit offline, um, and I wanted to make sure that I didn't put you in a, an uncomfortable position because I want to ask you a question that really cuts to the heart of the intention behind where we have gone today. Was it really designed as sort of this? Uh, benign uh, tool for geeks uh, and, and unbeknownst to those that created it turned into something else or here's the question could it be that somehow the quote unquote powers that be those that shape pop culture popular culture and needless to say human behavioral patterns have they been able to tap some deeply rooted and repugnant aspect of the human psyche vis-a-vis technology? Now, we talked about uh, the aspect that they may be tapping, if they're doing such a thing, would reside in the reptilian brain. And that's kind of a different conversation. But really, the focus is, was this on purpose? Is this an accident? Was it intended for something else or not? Well, I, I think, you know, we we touched on this before. I mean, I, I think there are definitely forces uh, and and individuals who understand how to manipulate mass consciousness. Mm-hmm. And whether, you know, whether this technology kind of evolved, if you will, uh, because there's a Facebook was some kind of a, of a geek app uh, to facilitate uh, interactions for people who are too introverted to function socially, it was clearly has been has been tapped and developed and and expanded and utilized for all types of uh, basically mind control. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that any mass media, uh, and you know whether you're looking at, at you know television, cell phones. Um, you know, Facebook, Twitter, um, just about any any kind of mode of interaction, uh, there there is a kind of ominous aspect to it mm-hmm. because, uh, because it goes right into you. It it it, it enters subliminal subliminally into your consciousness. That makes and, sense. Mm-hmm. And so, the behaviors that are coming out uh, that are being expressed online. 
Um, and of course, one of the one of the most flamboyant examples would be Donald Trump's tweeting behavior. Right. I want to get into that. Um, yeah. You know, it 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 kind of taps into this kind of the, this visceral. I call it the collective eleven-year-old, mm-hmm. the person person who wants to rant, the person who wants to denigrate, the person who wants to humiliate. Now has the potential to 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 basically stick out his tongue and make faces at millions of people. Well, you know, I want to get into that because you talk about sticking out their tongue and faces. We're going to talk about emojis. We've got just so much ground to cover. And I want to retouch on uh, the Donald Trump uh, Twitter tirade and his frequent, and others as well. It'd be unfair for me to just point him out as as the problem because too many people are following suit. But I want to touch on how technology, Lori, and again, specifically social media, has opened up a channel of growing narcissistic tendencies, particularly within our youth, not just with the youth, but alarmingly with the youth. So this advent of what is now referred to as the selfie, which by the way, folks, I abhor that term, because the word in and of itself to me seems to promote uh, an assumption of self focus, (laughs) self focus, figuratively and literally. And when you notice how ubiquitous the use of this term has become, Laura, you really have to ask yourself again, was this all planned? The selfie? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, it's, it's the question of who planned it. I mean, mm. I, I I think I prefer the word planted mm. or imprinted rather than Abs- planned. Fair I, enough. I, mm-hmm. Because because it's working at a at a subconscious subliminal level. Mm. So I I don't think it was a strategic you know kind of somebody looked at a flowchart and and planned it. But I think that that once it once it appeared, the propagation of it as a strategy is obviously being utilized by many different forces and powers that be mm-hmm. whether it's political whether it's advertising uh, whether it's uh, uh, propaganda whether it's designed to uh, just just the whole surveillance uh, you know the, the level of surveillance that we subject ourselves to every time we go on social media you know people people don't think about that I, I was speaking to somebody last night uh, actually, is a musician who worked with David Bowie, and he said he's not on Facebook. Uh, he said, but sometimes somebody will call him and say, "I see that you're going to be in L.A. tomorrow," and he'll say, "How did you know that?" He said, "Well, I read it on Facebook because mm-hmm. one of his friends posted it." Are you on Facebook? He said, "No, I'm trying to enjoy the last vestige of privacy I will ever have as a human being." Mm-hmm. And I think that's very poignant, and it's it is very well placed because. We put, you know, every time we log on to social media, we're basically exposing ourselves That's right. to, to being hacked, to being, uh, you know, to being put under surveillance, to having our, you know, to phishing, to having our information uh, tapped and, and stored and utilized or shipped someplace else. And I'll tell you my Facebook story. The people ask me why I'm not on Facebook. When I had the Dr. Laurie show, which had uh, 200,000 listeners, I set up a page for the show, and I was building my global media platform on Facebook. This was about eight years ago, and I was accepting anyone who wanted to be my friend, and there were people in Eastern Europe, and there were people in China, and there were people in God knows where, and I thought, this is very exciting, and I was using an AOL email account that was linked to Facebook. And every once in a while, I would find that I couldn't log on to my account, and it wouldn't recognize my password and it wouldn't recognize my security questions, and it was like a little glitch, and it would last for a few hours, it would last for a day, and then I would be able to get back on. 
And then one weekend, uh, on a Friday night, I got locked out of my AOL account, and there was no, there's no longer any human customer service or tech support <clears throat> at America Online on the weekends. And so all weekend, I couldn't get onto my AOL account. And when I logged on on Monday, I saw that there was a wire transfer that was going from my financial account to somebody's Kemper financial account. And it was an amount that practically wiped out my account. Oh, my goodness. So I called my financial advisor, and I said, because he had the password. Um, he was the only one authorized to use the account. I don't, I don't bank online anyway. And I said, what is this? And he said, you've been emailing me all morning. You said that you had to go to a meeting, and I needed to do this right away. And I said, someone hacked into my account. I've been locked out of my account all weekend. And he said, well, this person used your email account. They knew my name. They knew my kids' names. Oh my and, they had, and they had your bank account number. So, of course, I called Schwab. I was able to stop the transaction. It started a cyber you know, security alert, contacted the FBI, immediately canceled Facebook, immediately canceled AOL, because my global media platform, you know, those people were not all pen pals. No. So they want to be your friends, but you don't know who they are. Yeah, you sure and don't. And these people were obviously very sophisticated because they had been stalking me. They found out who my financial advisor was. They stalked him. They found out his children's names. They managed to get my bank account number. And it was just a miracle that I was able to get someone on the phone at AOL at 9 o'clock on a Monday morning and get back into my account within seconds of stopping this transaction from going through. Isn't that something? I, I vaguely recall you telling me that story oh. offline, Laurie. That is yeah. really something. And so, again, for everyone listening, including myself, I mean, look, we're all, uh, if we're agreeing to participate at whatever level, we're also agreeing to take the risk. Right. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, really, um, it has really just done a job, <clears throat> excuse me, I think on uh, altering the paradigm of how we right. live as human beings or the lack thereof these days, you know, it's right. You know, this whole thing about um, something that you, you said reminded me of a word called exploitation. Yeah. This is the thing that maybe you as a counseling psychologist could really shed some light on it. And this whole idea of people wanting to taking pictures of the meal that they're eating and letting people oh. know where they are. And by the way, I'm going on vacation next right. week and, just this, you know, I have to tell this little story. We, as you know, just got back from Martha's Vineyard. And uh, while we were there, we were at a little place that we love to go to, a little little outdoor bar. And I'm sitting next to a gentleman um, at the bar, and I'm noticing he's got a drink in front of him that's half drunk, drank, <laughs> half empty. And he's taking a picture of it. And I could see, without looking too closely, I could see he was texting it to someone. Right. And I, I looked at my husband, just kind of elbowed him and said, look at this. What is this? Where is this sense of I want to show myself coming from? And again, has this been, I'm not going to use the word planned or even planted, but somebody knew that there was, I feel that this aspect was there for the taking within the, the, the deep recesses of humanity somehow. And it's been exploited. It's definitely, it's definitely been exploited. Um, I, again, you know the, you know as I wrote that piece in the in the Huffington Post of the Donald Trump and the 
collective yes. unconscious, and mm. it's, it's really about how he is tapping into this collective 11-year-old who feels helpless. And I see a lot of the behavior and the shaming and the flaunting and the, I just bought two cows on Farmville. Um, you know, if somebody, is, if someone of your Facebook friends is playing a game called Farmville, which is like Monopoly, you will receive an email in your email box announcing every stupid thing that they buy on Farmville. And uh, somebody is clear, some, some, I say to say somebody as an individual, but, but clearly there are uh, corporate entities, there are a aggregate entities uh, that, that have tapped into the knowledge that people on some level just want to behave like like everybody's in Lord of the Flies. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's really kind of it's really kind of tapped into this literally prepubescent mentality, mm -hmm. where you know, oh, let me show you what I ate for breakfast. Let me give you my let let me show everybody my my uh, sugar free cheesecake recipe. Oh, look! I just bought a pig on farm. It's it's like look at me, look at me, look, look at, me. at me. It's well, almost like a three year old. Right. Well, this goes back to the narcissistic aspect, right. and again, I I have to go back, uh, Lord, to this idea that there is some you know. Look, we I'm not the psychologist you are, but we know that the brain is comprised of very intricate and yet very different areas of 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 awareness and of reality. And I use the term reptilian brain. I know that it stands sure. for many things, but yeah. that, that lower, very sort of uh, yeah. uh, primal aspect um, right. that is not only about prepubescence, but about um, the narcissistic tendencies and the right. and the, the, the feeling of uh, unworthiness. And so yeah. by being able to exhibit something, you're saying, I've right. got something to show here. So again, right. it seems like that's been leveraged somehow. Right. Well, um, we're this this show is going by way too quickly, and we still have a lot to cover. So forgive me. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through a few ideas okay. and have you comment on them because I know our audience will be interested. Let's talk about emojis for a little while. Uh, sure. As you as you know, I recently wrote an article called "Humans, Emojis, and the Reduction of Consciousness." I felt very moved to do so as. I'm watching, again, as an, another little companion or a little convenience built into the use of technology, these little icons that people are now using in favor of, look, first we used to talk, like we're doing right now, then it was texting, and, and never mind the, the using the words, now all we have to do is press a button and, and have our entire mood expressed in one little image. And right. to me, incredibly disturbing. Again, I think... Somehow, something is trying to take the humans out of humanity. Let's talk about emojis. Yeah, emojis are definitely the lazy person's way of expressing emotion, and uh, you know, it's 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 a shortcut to putting the effort into any kind of communication that requires subtlety, uh, depth, um, consciousness. If you will, you just flash an emoji at somebody, mm -hmm. and you know supposedly you've given somebody um, an actual message. And I, I don't know what to make of it, but it, it, you know, in the sense that we're evolving, we seem to be evolving into a less intelligent species. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody wants to take the time to learn how to express an emotion, and and why should you if you can just flash a little cartoon at somebody? Right. Uh, it's again, you know, you're right that it is a a de dehumanizing quality to it. Mm -hmm. That's that's very disturbing. It sure is. 
Well, you know, I know there are a lot of folks out there listening that, that listen to Higher Journeys Radio as well as other alternative programs. Uh, and I, although I have not gone deep, deep, deep into the perhaps conspiracy, and I always stress perhaps because we really don't know. We can only theorize unless you're a part of the matrix that created whatever is and if it's being created. But I know that there's some people that might be thinking, well, you know, there's a big plan on the horizon. Some have called it transhumanism. AI really blurring the lines between uh, human and non-human. I don't know if that's a conversation that's appropriate for today, but I just want everyone to know we're aware of these things um, and I have not dismissed them. I think there's a lot uh, to contemplate here. Either way, we know this is extraordinarily disturbing. And um, again, I think that uh, as an individual, considering and reminding yourself that you are an individual, not a part of a collective, we always have the choice to withdraw our attention to these things. Look, you and I are using technology right now. I love it. As I said in the beginning, it's a, it's a neutral tool. You make the decision on how you use it. But if you don't get a hold of yourself, it's going to run away with you, right? That's right. And for most people, it does. Uh, most people, as I said, you know, we talk about the, the definition of uh, insanity as the inability to distinguish what's going on between your inner world and the outer world, technology has completely eradicated that line. Mm-hmm. People, people, there, there's no longer any distinction in most people's minds mm-hmm. between who they are, how they interact, and their cell phones. Mm-hmm. You see people walking through the streets of New York, Nobody, everybody's looking at a device. How, how come there are, how there were not uh, more accidents of people crossing the street being completely oblivious to what's going on, um, I don't know, because it's just, it's one step away from complete, you know, pandemonium. Mm-hmm. And you will see people sitting in restaurants where yeah. each person is, you know, they'll be on dates and they'll be, each of them looking at their cell phones. That's right. And, and, you know, it, it's creating the, the, an extremely depersonalized culture. Mm-hmm. We're losing, people are losing social skills, not gaining social skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in, in 1992, which was, I call it the BI era, before Internet, uh, I did a, a story, I actually did a story for several magazines, but the, the main one was for men's fitness, and it was called Sex and the Modern Male. And one of the, the main focus of the article was the phenomenon of phone sex at the time. And I remember interviewing a colleague who said that phone sex should be considered a fetish because if you can only have, you know, if you can only achieve orgasm by relating through a machine, you're not actually being touched, then then the phenomenon of phone sex was creating this wave of depersonalized sex that was uh, that she said was 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 increasing exponentially now if we add the computer and a computer gives you an illusion because sometimes you can actually see um, you know a picture or you can see a person but again it it in terms of our sexuality where be you know, talk about AI or becoming cyborgs and people really are uh, millions and millions of people now uh, can can no longer have real relations because they're used to getting it through the computer mm-hmm. or through the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Well, um, mm-hmm. One of my clients was saying that uh, uh, erectile dysfunction among twenty men in their twenties now has reached epidemic proportions because 
men get their sex education from online porn. Mm-hmm. And they, they cannot, they don't know how to relate, they don't know how to respond, and they don't know how to have a sexual relationship with a real woman, with a real human. Really something, you know, this whole idea of, and we were, we're both old enough to remember, of course, that this whole advent of phone, what's called phone sex, and I'm thinking yeah. now it, it's graduated to, what's it called, sexting, which yeah. is sex yeah. via t- a text message, right. you know, it's... Yeah. It reminds me, or it, it makes me wonder, Lori, if in fact the when it was the phone sex thing, whether that was just a foray into what would become, you know, it's a constant graduation and de programming and dehumanizing. You can see a tr- you can see a pattern. Uh, so it's. Um, disturbing to say the least let's go back to let's talk about donald trump a little bit more and I, you, you brought it up i want to re-emphasize because everybody i do want you all will have a link to this article great article that uh, dr laurie wrote uh called uh, uh donald trump or it's i'm sorry let daddy fix it donald yeah. trump and the collective unconscious it's simply brilliant i read it twice Thank um you. and it, it ties in uh very relevantly to what we're talking about here um but again you had touched upon his incessant use of Twitter. And again, I say he is not the only one. He wasn't the first. He certainly won't be the last. But certainly this has been sort of a um, a centerpiece to, to his extraordinarily bizarre campaign. So let's talk about that a little bit. Twitter. And just what's happening with Twitter? I'm not a big use, user of Twitter, actually. Um, well, I I've t- took a couple of webinars on how to use Twitter for, for business and for promotion. And it's an excellent tool to promote something specific if you have a book, if you have a radio show. Uh, but, I mean, there are people who live on Twitter. Uh, I have a, a friend, a very dear friend, she spends four hours a day on Twitter and Instagram building the platform. Uh, and that's, you know, and there are certainly many Hollywood celebrities who spend at least an hour a day on Twitter or on Instagram, and that's how they build their following. But uh, when you're talking about somebody like Donald Trump who uses it for infantile rants or making you know, hostile, deprecating statements about people, uh, the, again, you're looking at a three-year-old who is having a tantrum mm-hmm. in, front of, in front of millions of people. And there's really the, the scary thing is that there's no way to stop it. There's no way to rein him in. Right. And Twitter is not going to cancel his account. No, 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 matter how, no. No matter how, no matter how belligerent somebody is. Look at all these 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 people who uh, around the world who uh, the, the Nice attacks, for example, or the Fort Hood attacks in this country, where uh, the the attackers or the the people who committed mass murder were socialized and indoctrinated by watching radical Islamic fundamentalists uh, proselytizing on social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean that's, that goes so beyond what we can comprehend because the, the insidious and ominous level of, of mind-to-mind penetration can't be regulated anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, it leads me to ask a couple of questions. First, I have two questions, and I'm trying to think of what I want to ask first, because I want to hold on to the Donald Trump tab for a minute. Well, let's go to the Donald Trump thing, and then I want to address what you just talked about. 
you talk about Donald Trump and his tirades at, as being indicative of a childlike behavior. And yeah. we also reference, Laurie, this sort of prepubescent behavior that's reemerging and even prior to the Donald Trump tirade and his presidential run, yeah. et cetera. Do you think that on some very deep uh, subconscious or even unconscious level that Trump represents this archetype? Let's talk Jungian psychology for a little while. Uh, which archetype is that? Well, I guess... I mean, the archetype of, of, I don't know what specifically, but he, generally speaking, there's, there's an archetypal nature, it seems, to, you know, the child. I mean, I don't know the, the specific terms offhand, but... Well, I've an, spoken to Jungians about it, you know, and that they feel that, that he's the trickster. The trickster. Ah. And that, in fact, you know, he keeps saying, I am just the messenger, and the messenger is Hermes, is the messenger in Greek mythology, but Hermes was also the inventor of lying, so which mm-hmm. is, I think, fascinating. So every time Trump or one of his uh, supporters says he's only the messenger, the coded, you know, the, the, the subconscious code is, and yes, he's the inventor of lying. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so you're, get, you're getting multiple, multiple levels of, uh, of, of uh, meaning and mm-hmm. symbolism every time he refers to himself as the messenger. I, I think of him as the archetype of the evil prince, like in a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. He's, he's, like, he's like the evil prince who is going to, he wants everybody to do what he wants to do. Uh, he reminds me of an African dictator who wanted to have every tenth child named after him. Um, Caligula, the archetype of the mad, you know, kind of Roman dictator who appointed his horse to the cabinet. Donald Trump couldn't point his pet poodle to be Secretary of the Treasury. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, we're we're really, you know, we're really talking about an an, an archetype. You can't even call him like an evil genius. Um, he's just he's just an ego gone mad. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I brought up archetype. And by the way, folks, many of you know I I'm not one for naming names uh, because I don't think it's fair. He's not here. <laughs> to defend himself. But again, because he represents such a caricature uh, in what we're going through, and it is relevant to the conversation that we're talking about, I thought, I'm going to have to break my, my, my code of ethics of journalism for a minute and, and go there. Uh, but I, I don't want to continue to, to to rant or even discuss him because it's, uh, you know, we can certainly uh, put uh, criticism on virtually every politician and frankly every single one of us for not all of us but many of us too many that are misusing uh, technology in this way so before I forget here's the other question and I'm hearing I apologize everyone because I think we've got a lot of people connecting in and you can hear the Skype that familiar Skype tone in the background so I'm going to ask everyone to forgive us uh, we had a little trouble getting started today so I don't want to press any more buttons so bear with us uh, but Here's my question, another question. Here we are, we're talking about no question. Society is now completely vested, rooted in the use of technology, with few exceptions. Now, there's some people that don't have Facebook accounts. They don't like yourself. My husband doesn't. Uh, but by and large, we are married to technology. Right. What do you think, Lori, would happen if one day we woke up and the grid went down? Well, what would I, happen, psychologically speaking? Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, I, I, it's interesting to me that uh, I wrote a play called Solar Katrina, which takes place uh, in New York about a year after the grid goes down, uh, after due to a solar storm. 
and it's a kind of existential, spiritual existential survivalist play that takes place in, in a one-room apartment. And, and, and that's part of what I'm exploring is what happens, you know, what happens to people uh, when there's no technology. Then literally one week after that play had a reading at the actor's studio in L.A., mm. her Hurricane Sandy broke into my house and just and 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 for a thousand miles of coastline here from Cape May, New Jersey to about New Haven, Connecticut, uh, the grid was the grid went out. The grid went out in in, in this area. It went out for about a month, hmm. and there were there was no power. There was no internet. There were no phones. Um, a few people had Facebook. A uh, few people managed to kind of post things on Facebook uh, during the storm. But basically, we were we were without uh, digital technology, and I uh, went to well, I went into the city in Manhattan and Brooklyn still had uh, telephone service, and I was getting calls from people in Lower Manhattan where there was also no power, and uh, but people were able to use their landlines, and people were calling me hysterical. How are you? How are you going to survive? And and people are people are coming into the office and they're crying and they say, what are we going to do? And I said. We're going to go back to what life was like before we had cell phones and mm-hmm. before we had the internet. Um, think 1980s. You know, it's really not that far back. And I said, I lived in third world countries where if you needed to, if I needed to interview somebody or you needed to make an appointment to see somebody in his or her place of work, you had to walk or take a train or take a bus and go over to that person's office and physically make the appointment because the phones didn't work. Mm-hmm. I said, and things were, it was more cumbersome, it was less reliable, and things took longer. And if somebody didn't show up because maybe they didn't get the message that you were waiting for them, or maybe there was a transportation strike, or maybe the bus wasn't running, or um, any number of other things that could have happened, you just waited an hour or two. If they didn't show up, you went, you did something else because... Because time becomes more fluid and kind of taffy-like and less predictable. Mm-hmm. Part of what's happened with, with cell phones and with the Internet is that we all, we've learned how to think in digital time. And digital time is an artificial construct. Mm-hmm. You know, when, you look, when you look at your computer and it says it's 2.11 p.m., you know, that's not the same as looking at the face of a battery-operated analog clock where maybe it's 2.9, maybe it's 2.11, maybe it's between 2.10 and 2.15, but you're, you're telling time visually, and, and there's more of a window um, in terms of what time it is. Mm-hmm. So, so this precision of being able to think in terms of units of several seconds at a time is a construct of digital time, and we've become kind of addicted to it. We think that that's reality. But when what happens when the grid goes down is that then you have to think in biological time. What time What time does the sun come up? What time is the sun going to go down? What time do you have to be in bed because it's going to be cold and dark or it's going to be hot? When, when, when is the moon going to shed light so that you can read at night? Uh, people used to tell time by the cycles of the moon or by the harvest or when the salmon was running or when the corn came in. And that's what's going to happen if the grid goes down. We'll go back to a more natural relationship with the cycles of time, which we've completely lost. Dr. Laurie Nadell, you have nailed it. (laughs) 
You have, I, I, I feel like I'm living a deja vu. You know, when I talk to this woman, she goes into these just deep, just incredible insights. And I'm sitting here shaking my head. Amen. Yeah. I have said, I've said it on the record and I'm going to say it again. Maybe we need that. Just right. enough for us to get a, re get a hold of ourselves and realize, realize, remember, rejoin that we are human. We are not digital. Oh my gosh, what a poignant example. And I have to tell you, you know, this whole idea of uh, the way life used to be, even pre-analog clocks where we looked at nature to tell us the time of day. You know, I honestly, every once in a while, I'll do it just to, to, to remind myself. Let's see if I can, based on where the sun is shining in the sky, if I can kind of guess what time it is. I do that. I think that might be a little piece of advice that you might lend to people, right? I, to try I, to... think, I think it's very important. I think it's important to kind of be aware of, you know, where we are uh, during the day, the sun, the moon, the quality of light. Um, you know, I spent 10 years, um, I spent part of every year traveling to South America to meet and study with shamans and indigenous healers um, different parts of South America. And they all used to say, you know, people in the north or people in the industrialized world have have disconnected from nature your relationship with nature is broken and the, and they said all of nature speaks and is what's going to happen is nature is going to start speaking soon and um, it's going to be very loud because you haven't been paying attention to all of the subtle messages that nature has been trying to give you the reason that you're having all these problems that you have in the industrialized world is because your relationship with nature is out of balance and you've forgotten that you have one. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's really, you know, we're starting to see that. And I would totally agree with you. I always think that it's it's a great opportunity when, and, and believe me, I, I don't wish uh, a mass catastrophe like Hurricane Sandy or 9-11 on anybody at any time. But what, what we learn about ourselves and each other, what we learn about what really matters, what we, what we learn about how to navigate the world without being uh, digitally attached to this electronic leash mm -hmm. of, of a computer or a cell phone or, or a Fitbit or you know, whatever it is that we're, you know, whatever the technology du jour is, I really think it's a blessing. I do too. I do too. And I really do hope everyone will take this, uh, take stock in, in what this conversation is all about today. And as I'm watching daily, and you and I both monitor, both as journalists, as well as uh, sort of spiritual individuals, watching the trends of what is continuing to take us away from our spirituality, our individuality, and our humanity, watching the news, and looking at the, the advent, as you say, technology du jour. And, you know, in the last two to three weeks, Laurie, I've seen... Uh, uh, campaigns promoting there's something called Fitbit yeah. that I just yeah. literally just learned about because our hosts at Martha's Vineyard are big fans of it and they had them on and they're walkers so they were using it for that but then I ran into someone else that sleeps with it because yeah. she wanted to I guess it has there are different programs that you yeah. can get that can monitor your sleep patterns and God knows what and then now we also have a MIT I, I don't know if it was an MIT slash 
Microsoft collaboration where I may be wrong on this, where they're putting these tattoos on people's arms and they can operate their smartphones from something that's literally attached oh. to their skin. Oh, that's creepy. That's, Did you hear about that? No, but then then that then, then we really are becoming cyborgs. Yes. That's horrible. So again, you that's, see the pattern really and if you creepy. watch yeah. You can put the puzzle pieces together. We start with phone sex. We end up with microchips under our skin because I'm sure that's where we're going. In fact, that's been talked about. And always, always being presented as bigger, better, more convenient when, to me, it's anything but. Right. Right. And and also then, you know, if we if we look at, like, the latest today, the Associated Press reported that, that WikiLeaks has uh, hundreds of thousands. I mean, they, they've captured data on hundreds of thousands of us, including, it's said, rape victims, including including crime victim statistics where, where identities are meant to be confidential. Um, the more we attach to technology, the less humanity and privacy we have. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. I, I, I really think that's a, that's a direct equation and that the, the more, the more, we, we think that we cannot live without it, the more dangerous it is for us as human Absolutely. beings. Well said. Well said. We're going to wind down shortly. We've got a couple more things to get to, but I want to read a, a snippet from an upcoming lecture that will be given by, do you know Sherry Turkle? I believe it's Dr. Sherry Turkle, who's a, she's yeah. a sociologist and... I've heard of her. Yeah, psychologist and professor, speaking of MIT. She's at MIT uh, mm-hmm. with their program in science, technology, and society. She wrote the book Alone Together. Does that sound familiar? Alone yes. Together. Oh, yeah. I've yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I love that book. I've actually seen her lecture. Alone Together, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Ourselves. And she says... Uh, in this little snippet uh, for this forthcoming lecture, she says, you know, we find ways around conversation tempted by the possibilities of a text or an email in which we don't have to look, listen, or reveal ourselves. But then she goes on to say, but there is good news. We are resilient. A return to conversation cures. It restores empathy and a virtuous circle begins. Lori, do you think there's good news in the offing? Can we return to real conversation and human connection or is it too late? Well, again, and I don't wish a catastrophe on anybody, but that is one of the things that happens with a disaster is that, you know, the props get taken away and we have to communicate for our survival. We have to connect for our survival. Mm-hmm. And and it may be that, you know, it you know, we we've done so much damage to the environment. It may be that, you know, so, uh, I mean, in terms of what's happening in this country with uh, uh, the increase in violence, that we're, we've become kind of as a people in, we're, we're living in this state of turbulence where we're, we're, we're on the edge of emergencies all the time. Any emergency can wipe out our, our attachment to... Our, our addiction or our attachment to you know, the, the the digital fun stuff that we that we all like to tune into and play with throughout the course of our day, mm-hmm. and and it it's going to take something that literally rips away this veneer of technology, mm-hmm. and I call it a veneer because you know underneath underneath our emoji uh, attachments and uh, our Pokemon games mm-hmm. and our Fitbits and all the other toys, uh, each of us is a living, breathing human being who needs to connect 
and to be cared about and to care for other human beings. Mm, absolutely. Well, you know, again, look, we have been really leaning on, we've been just reading out and undressing <laughs> technology and all the, the, the isms and, and why it's not good. And, you know, again, as I started in the beginning, and I, I'm sure you'll agree, this is a tool that can do wonderful things as well. I think this is a conversation about how far we're going to go with it and how integral it becomes to, to our survival, not not participating. I think it's been a wonderful thing. Let me give you just a quick little, something happened a couple of days ago, I don't know if you've heard, we had a we had a small tornado in a neighboring town. Oh, I, oh, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, and I have to tell you, you know, many, and here's the thing, it was a nocturnal tornado, meaning it didn't happen, it happened at three o'clock in the morning, uh-huh. and most people were fast asleep. Well, guess what it was that was able to wake up a lot of people? Their cell phones now have an emergency... Oh, yes. Yeah, we all have an emergency. Right. So I suppose, you know, we have to look at both sides of the coin here. There are aspects that, you know, these are, but the key is emergency, not fun and exciting, you know, toys. So there are some good things that can be, can be used for. Um, So I think think that that really the, the missing piece here is choice. Yes. And that, that people just get, we all get swept into the newest, the latest, you know, more is better, newer is better, faster is better, you know, bigger is better. So here's the latest gadget or here's the latest app. And we we don't stop to think that we have a choice. Mm-hmm. We don't stop to think, how is this going to affect my life? Will it improve my life? How many hours a day am I going to have to spend playing with this thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, A.E. Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever. How useful is that? Um what do I really want to get out of having an online identity? Uh, do I need it? What is it a substitute for? I mm, mean, good you know, questions. Every, everyone should have a checklist of questions that right. you ask before you before you you load that new app onto your phone. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's great. I'm going to list those questions because I, I want people great. to ponder them in our companion post. Well, Thank I think I think the other thing, Dr. Laurie, is we need to start using our sixth sense more. Don't you? <laughs> this is a segue, by yep. the way. <laughs> yep. Yep. I want you to talk in our closing moments uh, about your landmark book. I certainly think it is called Your Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power, which was originally released, I believe, in 2006. But it's now available in audiobook format. And I'd love for you, Lori, to talk a little bit about what folks are in for when they get your book from mindbodynetwork.com. Talk about that. Thank you. Well, my my book is called Sixth Sense, Unlocking Your Ultimate Mind Power. It was originally published in 1990 Ah. as uh, Sixth Sense, The Whole Brain Book of Intuition, Hunches, and Gut Feelings. And uh, it's been a bestseller four times. Uh, I updated it in 2007. And add an internet directory to uh, the experts who appear in the book. And in addition to having exercises uh, to help you strengthen your sixth sense, it looks at how your how intuition is, is used in science, in business, um, education. We talk about the brain you took to school, uh, how intuitive intelligence is actually a natural mental ability that we can cultivate. Uh, just like we can cultivate artistic ability or athletic ability. And the book is an Audible book, which is available if you sign up for an Audible subscription. You can get it as a free book. Mm. Uh, and uh, you can go to Amazon and just uh, write uh, Sixth Sense by Laurie Nadell, 
and the uh, page will come up with both the book and the audio book. But if you go to mindbodynetwork.com slash Laurie-Nadell, there are um, about eight different ebooks and special reports that you can get as free bonus gifts mm. uh, along with the audio book. So uh, I would urge you to please go to mindbodynetwork.com. If you haven't already done so, we have a digital library. We yes. have, Alexis, your book is in the library. We have over 43,000 people have downloaded books from the library. And um, look at my page, Lori Nadell, and uh, get your free, free bonus gifts uh, after you purchase the book on Amazon or Audible. I love it. Six cents. Yes. You. I Mind Body Network, by the way, is fabulous. Kudos to, to you and Tori and everybody that's doing great work there. It is an eye candy for one thing. I love the way it looks, but there's a lot of content. So we'll make sure to have that linked up directly to this Thank post. You. And, you know, I think we're, we're ending on a, an uplifting note because you still have choice. I think that's a big theme that this uh, that was throughout this discussion. You still have a choice. You certainly have a choice to use your intuition because uh, it's there and perhaps uh, you're taking the foot off the gas pedal of technology and, and putting the foot a little bit more on the right side of the brain in the sixth sense. First read the book and I know that'll help you out. So let's do it. We do have a choice. And as always, Dr. Lori Nadell, your words of wisdom are just so needed right now. We're going to have you back for sure. Uh, and uh, but I, I do urge everyone to please look into this more and, and, and look at what you're what you're doing. I'm looking every morning at what I'm doing. Do I need to be on this iPad checking news or should I just go outside and take a walk? <laughs> I'm going to do that as soon as I hang up from Skype, actually. <laughs> Dr. Lori, thank you, my dear. I really thank appreciate you. you as always. Thank you. thank you so much for having me as your guest and thank you all for listening. All right. We'll talk to you soon, everyone. Take care. Are we in a technological state of emergency? Certainly, the aspects that were discussed today would lead one to believe that we may be headed down a path that will have serious ramifications for many years to come if we don't elect to use choice and discernment when it comes to our relationship with technology. Dr. Lori made some extraordinary points that I know you'll want to contemplate further, like our reacquaintance with time and nature. I think it's worth exploring. Remember, we are human, spiritual, brilliant, creative, individuals. Let's not allow a synthetic version of reality to co-opt our ability to express all of these glorious qualities that make up who we are. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks. <music>